Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to the X-Force segment of From Claremont to Claremont, Episode 3. We'll call this one 3D, since it's the fourth segment that I'm releasing. Now, today, it's me and my good friend Chris Bailey, who I hope to be getting back into the studio with pretty soon to uh, get started on some of the projects that we've had piling up. And we're going to be talking about X-Force number 5. So we're going to meet... Well, in theory, we're going to meet a whole new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I, I don't know if it's going to be quite that way in execution, but uh, we'll have a good time talking about it nonetheless. Uh, then, once the uh, comic discussion's over with, Chris will share with us the soundtrack of his life, much like the rest of the hosts are doing. A really fun segment, a really fun uh, exercise to uh, to try to coordinate your life with a uh, sort of a soundtrack. So... If anybody out there listening would like to be a part of that, please feel free to uh, reach out to us and uh, we'll share your picks and uh, discuss them at great length if uh, if you want. Um, now you can reach me at Ace Comics on Twitter or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. You can chat with us about anything you want over at 90s X-Men on Facebook. And of course, the Chris and Reggie audio archives are there waiting for your listening ears at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Now, with uh, the plugs out of the way, I'll send it over to the music and uh, me and Chris Bailey discussing X-Force number five. See ya. Alrighty, it's X Force time, and uh, I am once again joined by uh, by Chris Bailey to uh, discuss something extreme. How, how are you doing this month, or should I say this half year, as it pertains to the Claremont show? It's December 1991. Do you know where your kids are at? Well, this kid was reading <laughs> X Force numero five, and uh, I don't know quite <laughs> quite what to say. If I need that time back, Chris, or what? But uh, we this is going to be out. one hell of a fun episode. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> Now, this was actually my very first issue of X-Force um, because oh it, for whatever reason, it was one of the very few because I started probably about a dozen issues in is when I started. And uh, for whatever reason, this one in the back issue bin was only like two fifty or three dollars instead of like the others being like five or six bucks each. So I grabbed this one um, and I, I thought we had some first appearances here and uh, because we have Fantasia on the cover. But uh <laughs> She doesn't show up in the book. But we'll I get know. <laughs> oh, that should have been an omen right there. The the reduced price plus the character that doesn't show up. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, yeah, oh, so as mentioned, this is X-Force number five. Uh, just like everything we're doing today has a December 1991 cover date. Uh, the story is called Under the Magnifying Glass. Uh, listen, I, which doesn't make sense. So you got a character that doesn't show up on the cover. Now, <laughs> I don't even understand this title. Like, yeah, what, what does true. this mean? We're, we're under the magnifying glass. Like, what inside the book? The only thing that I could possibly come up with was that there's a small little section where it covers the political aspect of it. And you got sure. Nick Fury and you got GW Bridge and they're plotting to take down X-Force. That is the only thing that would <laughs> signify being underneath the, micro, the, the magnifying glass in yeah. this one. So, you know, another title like 
you know, return of the brotherhood or return to the fold or evil united, something, you know, a little bit more acceptable 90s, 90s wise, you know what I mean? <laughs> but under the magnifying glass. Okay, Rob. Yeah, we'll go with it. Uh, speaking of Rob, he is responsible for the plot and the art in their entirety. <laughs> well, I will say one thing. Yes, despite this being like an action-packed, uh, you know, issue here, uh, I would not say that plot was one thing that you would hang your head on on this one because <laughs> the plot is not deep. The only thing you got here is uh, something to do with Sauron yeah, and the Brotherhood. It. That, that is your plot. Outside of that? Good job on the art, Rob. <laughs> That's where go. I'll leave you. Now, our wordsmith is Fabian Nisiesa. Letters, Chris Iliopoulos. Colors, we got a couple of colors here. Brian Murray and Renee Wittestata. This is what happened when you give two primary kids a different color crayons and tell them <laughs> to color the same picture. And this is the result. Man, a note to self. Never hire these colorists. Brian Murray and Renee Whittleslatter never hire these people. It, the coloring is just so off-putting, I, I don't even know what to say. I almost thought it was one of those old 3D comics, you know, where you get, like, the, oh. the red and the blue, you know, shadow images that creates the 3D. Oh, man, it, it's that bad, people. Yeah, there is some very uh, unfortunate coloring that we'll get to as we go on. Uh, very... Uh... <laughs> PG-13 plus, but I will get there. Uh, edit, Bob Harris, Chief DeFalco. Cover price, $1 USD, 125 Canadian, and 65 PUK. And as mentioned, we have a cover. And uh, the cover has the New Look Brotherhood. So we see Fantasia, who doesn't show up. Blob, Sauron, Pyro, who doesn't show up. And Toad stood on a stark white background. So, yeah, what do you end up there? Yeah, it's a little meh, that's for sure. I mean, uh, you, th you think about what – I mean, let's take a look at the cover. So I'm all about the group shots, okay? I mean, sure. that's a hallmark of, you know, Chris's favorite covers. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Is like the group shots. They're running towards the screen or they're doing some action pose. And, of course, my good friend Robert Liefeld, uh, friends on Twitter, he follows me. I'll just I'm just let you know that because it's, mm -hmm. a, you know, I'm a pretty big deal when he follows me. So I'll that's just true. I just want to throw that out there. Love you, Rob. Great, great, uh, great podcast. Rob Observation. Check it out, everybody. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's my Rob plugs for today. I'm done. But uh, I will say that they got a big group shot, and it's the Brotherhood of Evil on the cover. And like you said now, you know, they got all the characters on there. And one thing that Rob does good, especially with these characters, he makes these sad sack characters look, I would say, good. I mean, Sure, pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a simple but effective. Like, it, this is a 90s-style cover. That's how I put yeah. it. And everything you need to stand out on a shelf, despite me hating every single one of these characters, I can't stand <laughs> any of them. But uh, you know what? I, I bought this baby lock, stock, and barrel, so he won me over back in the day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, the issue opens with Deadpool delivering Juggernaut and Black Tom Cassidy to the mysterious Mr. Tolliver. Now, Marco thanks them for you know saving their bacon from X-Force during the whole World Trade Center thing, but insists that Tom see a doctor right away. Now, Tolliver laughs and says, yes, there's a very, very, very talented doctor on the way, which prompts us to shift scenes over to Dr. Carl Lykos, cool. who is drawn to look a whole lot like Mr. Rob Liefeld himself in this early scene. Uh, and we see him walking home to his girlfriend Tanya's place with groceries in hand. 
like I it this is actually Rob Liefeld. Like he put it's himself his in his yeah. own it one hundred percent is. Now, yeah, it's de- like you said, it's his face. It definitely ain't his body because we know that you know, <laughs> Rob Liefeld in real life is a very, very small man. I would say even almost diminutive, you know what I mean? <laughs> so you know, I, I like that he gave himself, you know, the signature broccoli florets for hair. And, you know, yeah. then he gave him this dynamic, full-figured Rob Liefeld body on top of Rob Liefeld. You know what I mean? This is this is, <laughs> is so meta, it's not even funny. But, uh, yep, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Carl Lycos is actually Rob Liefeld. So how about mm-hmm. that? Put yourself in the comic when all else fails. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Now, upon arrival at Tanya's place, he's shocked to find the blob and toad holding his girlfriend hostage. Blob grabs Lycos by the throat and slams him into a wall. Carl doesn't recognize either of them, which, uh, well, I don't know how much sense that makes, but it does facilitate some expository introductions from our baddies. Toad then smiles the smile of 46 teeth, we counted, to inform Lycos that, much like Professor Xavier, he himself has a dream. Now, for this dream of mutant superiority to come true, however, he's going to need the help of Dr. Lycos's alter ego, Sauron. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And uh, let's talk about the color here for a bit. It's worth noting that Toad's nearly half-hundred teeth are yellow, but coated in a thick, white, viscous fluid. We are oh. not here to judge, people. We're not here to judge. It is 2020. I need you people to get, you know, to be more reasonable when you're listening to this show, okay? I know your thoughts. Just leave that alone. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, both characters of Carl and Toad, and Toad now, resemble the creator, Mr. Liefeld himself, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> so they, they almost look like yin to the yang. It's almost like you've got good Rob, who's, you know, the good Dr. Carl, and then you've got Toad, who looks like a sinister, evil version of himself. Now think about the time that it takes for you to sit down and draw yourself. So he, mm-hmm. he pretty well gets himself pretty well bang on here, you know what I mean, in both <laughs> incarnations. But I, I guess it saves, you know, having, you know, models to look at. You just look at photos of yourself and bang, all sure. of a sudden they're there on the page. You know, you got You're Toad. in front of a mirror. Yep. Yeah, you got Toadfield, we'll call him, Toad, Toadfield or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it, this is just Rob. You know, he's, he's soon departing Marvel anyway with a giant bag of cash. So, you know, we'll, we'll let him draw himself in his book, you know, all sure. good. Now, from here, we shift scenes to a news report of friggin' Gideon, who looks to have been filmed through a screen door. Uh, He acknowledges Black Tom and Juggernaut's role in the events at the World Trade Center, but claims that Cable was the mastermind behind the whole Megillah. Now, since friggin' Gideon's stupid hair and all is a well-respected industrialist, his words appear to carry quite a bit of weight, probably more than you would expect. Now, Cable, Domino, Cannonball, and Boom Boom, they're watching this news report, and they stop to discuss it a bit. Tabitha suggests that Gideon's claims that make them all look like, quote, total lizards, which uh, is something. She further suggests that this will add more fuel to the fire of Cable, Cable pa- Cable's pal front butt GW Bridge. Cable then replies to Sam that Bridge isn't his friend, despite the fact that Tabitha delivered the previous line. Whoops, maybe Cable's <laughs> yes. just slipping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some uh, out-of-continuity, out-of-sync uh, yeah. dialogue going on here. It's almost like, bit. Yeah, it's almost like he got confused on the page, and he was like, oh my god, now I put a speech bubble in front of GW Bridge. He's going to have to say it again. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> now, an argument ensues out of nowhere about whether or not X-Force ought to trust Cable. I mean, this comes out of nowhere. To which, Cable invites Sam to explore his options with friggin' Gideon, just like old Birdo did. 
Cable then settles everyone down and tells Sam that the only reason they're talking right now is because he feels like Sam is the only member of the team who has anything to lose. You know, he's got family and whatnot, which, I mean, it might be a slight on the rest of the team. But yep. the whole thing is he's given him an option to basically opt out. Uh, Sam decides to stay and Tabitha does as well, even though nobody asked her. <laughs> this is true. Talk about leaving the, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. Holy cow! <laughs> so you got Gideon. So now get this: after only you know five issues, Gideon is now the media darling. So he's standing up against all our heroes here. So what I love about it is that everyone in the world apparently is watching this one channel that he's on. So I guess you know the, the news must have broke that you know they got this Gideon interview. Maybe maybe he broke it on the Twitter. I don't know. Just you know, yeah, you don't know. But the art and the color here, holy ding-dong. This is like a color atrocity. This is like war crimes against comics here. It is <laughs> just distracting. It's strange. Like, it's almost unfinished, but yet they still colored it. Does that make sure. sense? Yes, 100%. So it's like Rob, like, handed out, like, hey, guys, you know, I, I, I don't really have this finished. Can you put a bit in inks? And they just, you know, they didn't ink it. They just colored it. It's just, it's just bizarre. It's but no, I, a very good point. Yeah. I don't know what's happening, but it seems like that, you know, there's a shift. It's, it almost seems like Rob does half books. And we noticed this before in, in the past sure. episode of Claremont to Claremont is that like exactly half the book is really tight. Like it's very mm-hmm. well colored. It's very like the detail on the characters are a lot more. And then there's other scenes where it's intentionally sketchy or there's stuff missing or there's a lot of detail missing devoid of it. And this scene is one of those. And I don't know what this is. I would, I, you know, I just wish I, I knew, but it just seemed really odd. It's like two different books in one. It's like he did, you know, one section of the book, then flipped over to another section, went back to the other section. What You know what I mean? It's just flip-flopped all over the place. But man, the tones, the contrast, it's all over the place. I don't know. I don't know. No, I think you hit it right there on the money, because if you were to look at the Marvel Wiki for X-Force Volume 1, Number 5, you'll see that the if you look under Penciler, it's listed as Rob Liefeld, Brian Murray, and Marat Michaels. Uh-huh. Brian Murray and Marat Michaels are not credited in the book, but they're on the Wiki, so I definitely think there's something to that. I think Ghost Robs. Uh, for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> So he, he is, did that, he you know, he talks, building. Yeah. he talks about that in his podcast. So he actually goes into that, you know, the, the Liefeld actually became his own house style for his studio. Sure. So, you know, he wanted a synergy between all the books. So, you know, he trained his artists to mimic him. So mm-hmm. everybody was like, we had a whole bunch of, you know, Rob clones floating around. So this Absolutely. is what you get here, I guess. For sure. Now, we then shift scenes to Warpath, who is running through the the plains talking about getting vengeance for the Apache people. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh at this because it's not funny, because, you know, you you got that whole, you know, you got that whole ethnic deal where, you know, you you don't really want to step on any of that stuff. But this is all at a sequence. And and, and this is really loose in pencil as well. But. Is it the mistake to make Warpath just, you know, your I, I don't want to say stereotypical angry Native American, but is this the easiest thing you could have possibly done? Now making a oh, Native American sure. character, yeah. he's gonna be mad at the white man for stealing his ground, you know what I mean? That's about mm-hmm. the level of character that they give this guy, and he's literally running around screaming, 
yeah. that his, his people have been destroyed. I mean, you're talking about creating a, a great character of diversity, okay? And he just goes straight with the easy button, okay? Mm. Uh, the white man took his gland, uh, took his land, uh, and uh, now he's upset. And this is this is my Apache character. I mean, come on, you got That's to be. It. There's got to be a lot more deeper. This is how we get stuck in characters, and they say there's no diversity in comics, is because you never create it. You go for the easy button. You go for mm-hmm. the you know the low hanging fruit, and it's a shame because I love the Warpath design, sure. and I just wish they gave him more than just I'm angry. That's it. Yeah. No, uh, it's very true. Bad. It's very true. This is definitely they definitely push the easy button here. It's uh and it is the it is perhaps the lowest hanging fruit you can take when introducing yeah. this character. It's it's unfortunate. Because uh, I'll tell you get, what. I, I don't know about you growing up, but mm-hmm. you know, I always loved Native American characters. I was you know, I, I, I always took to them. You know, I I, sure. I I read Scalp Hunter as a kid and I mean, you know, I, I don't want to get into that because that's about as stereotypical as you can get. <laughs> but you know, a Rex on a thunder i love you know spirit iron knife in uh in uh, gi joe and all that type of stuff so i mean you know there's a lot of great characters out there but they just went for the uh went for the low-hanging fruit here shame on you roberto there's so much more to mr warpath could be but anyway yeah i guess he's angry i guess chris he's just angry he is annoyed and uh yeah they will like add a lot of depth to his character but it won't be for a very long time uh from here we jump to the danger room so i guess x-force has a danger room so that's something. No, apparently. Uh, we watch as Shatterstar slices balls. Like, literally. <laughs> He's there slicing floating orbs. Uh, Feral enters the scene and suggests that maybe the two of them go somewhere and, uh, well, bang. Um, Shatterstar, duh, has no interest in this. <laughs> Why is that, Chris? Hmm. <laughs> well, tell you what. Just like that, this is a great Gary instance. So, I mean, the art picks up. Right away here. Yep. So, I mean, Rob, you can tell he loves a Shatterstar, and man, he nails it. So the art is like 100% Rob Liefeld here. I mean, the Feral character is one that gets – I think Rob just loves having like a Feral character on the team, and it just gets repeated over and over and over oh, and over, sure. no matter what he does. So on a storyline level, you know, Feral coming on the Shatterstar seems a little bit off here because, you know, as we know from last issue, there was no love lost before, you know, with those two. You get that you get that whole thing. One thing I had to laugh at with the art here is that Shatterstar removes his head protector. Oh you know? no! He's got yeah. like this bad case of helmet head here, which is super <laughs> off-putting and just just weird. I don't know how to describe it. His head, because like he has his head, his headwear, like doesn't cover the top of his head. It's like a, like a like a fencing helmet with like no top, you know. And he pulls it off, and his head looks perfectly square. Like his hair was cut to fit his helmet, and it looks ridiculous. It's like buying an action figure back in the day, and you had to fit that helmet on, and you know, adjust his head shape to fit the helmet, and that's exactly (laughs) what this was. This is this is if you gave your broccoli florette a crew cut on the sides. It's a for sure. Um, Kid play. Yes, a hundred percent. Uh, now, uh, up in the monitoring area of this danger room, we have Siren watching, and it looks like uh, she might have the hot pants for old Gavrita as well. Now, her gaping and gawking is interrupted by Cable, who makes her the offer of joining X-Force full-time. And Teresa agrees to stay a spell. Cable warns that things are very likely to become very dirty, to which Teresa claims her recent run-in with the Shadow King during the Muir Island saga is the reason why she may never actually feel clean ever again. So... We got us a new member. How about that? Finally, 
Um, meanwhile, yeah, in Washington, that was a little that was a little out of nowhere. I gotta say, yeah. like, geez, <laughs> hey, you want to you want to join the team? It's like they go around just asking, yeah, you're uh, you're a mutant, right? Uh, you want to join on, the team? You, you want a belt with an X on it? Come on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> from here we go to that scene you alluded to earlier in washington dc and we got us a big big brain convention we got gw bridge uh, henry peter gyrick nick fury and val cooper and they've all assembled here to discuss the quote cable situation and they spend three pages arguing about how to proceed and honestly i don't even know what they agreed on ultimately um it's just a lot of roundabout arguing um, we, we do learn that Project Wide Awake is ready to come online, though, and this is a callback to all the way back in the first issues of New Mutants, and it has to do with a secret council put together by the President of the United States to deal with the ever-growing mutant population. So one thing here to point out. So we have Nick Fury classic here, okay? Yes. This is not the Samuel L. Jackson version, you know what I mean? And, you know, Nick Fury has dealt with all types of threats before, and, you know, he, he thinks that X-Force is the point where the government has to take action. I mean, he yes. has taken it all on. But yet, what has X-Force done to raise Nick Fury's ire? I mean, this guy has dealt with intergalactic... You, there's nothing that Nick Fury hasn't run into. But sure. yet, the only thing that X-Force has done is trying to track down the uh, you know, the Brotherhood of Mutants and blew up a couple bases. That is it. That's all we've That's seen from them. That's no, true. But, yeah, now, the Twin Towers thing, okay, you know, they were taking on the Juggernaut and all that stuff in the issue before... But, you know, it's some minor damage when you think of the level of stuff that Fury is after, you know, dictating and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, this is not even like an Inferno-level event where, you know, entire cities are taken over by demons and different things like this. This is just, you know, we broke up some stuff, and uh, now we're going to, you know, unleash the uh, the Fury, you know, <laughs> upon them. Which is it's just, it just comes off as strange because X-Force hasn't been around long enough for them to worry about. Yeah, yeah, they, they're really establishing a threat here without without doing the work. Um, yeah, the X-Force has, I mean, if we look at it in real-time Marvel Universe, they've probably been around a month, maybe? Yeah, most. that's what I mean. Like, there was, yeah. they, they have no skin in the game at all. Like, they've no. done literally nothing. A couple tussles. And, I mean, at the very same time this is going on, uh, Nick Fury is also, <laughs> he's also in Russia Shooting <laughs> missiles up at Asteroid M. So let's see. We have Magneto threatening to, you know, take over the world. And we have Cable who, uh, who you know, caused, a, you know, a chip in the wall at a, at a building somewhere. <laughs> it's weird. Now, if they flatten the Twin Towers, which which I don't recommend, by the way, you know, no. touchy subject. But uh, maybe that would have caused them to, you know, cause the ire of the people and all that type of stuff. But no, mm -hmm. they, you know, they broke a few windows and yeah. you know broke up a few roads that's about all we got going on here but by god they're all assembled to stop this evil regime mm -hmm. i mean and that happens like in every spider-man adventure right somebody is going to break the ground somebody's going to you yes. know there's going to be some webbing left on a building it's uh, what are you going to do what about now, the hulk who destroys right? more than this just waking up <laughs> it's true he, he puts more of a hurting on something having a bowel movement it's uh, a <laughs> Yes, but uh, now we wrap up this issue in an abandoned Manhattan warehouse where Dr. Carl Lycos is hung upside down attached to some sort of a gimmicky machine. <laughs> Toad tells him it's time to return to his Sauron form. But in order to do that, Lycos needs to feed off of another's life essence. Well, now that's where the lovely and shaggy Miss Tanya comes into play. 
Carl refused to feed off his girlfriend, but you see, he really doesn't have any choice at this juncture. She, too, is also attached to this machine, and with the flip of a switch, Toad can force-feed Lycos her essence, which is exactly what he goes on to do. We wrap up by having our return, you know, we had to turn our comic book sideways to see the return of Sauron. And uh, also, we're going to assume the death of beautiful Miss Tanya. So the big news here is Sauron is back. And man, as, as a kid, I guarantee you, I was like, this effing sucks. <laughs> I can't. I never could stand that character. So, you know, from Boring. the Savage Land and different. When characters went to the Savage Land, Chris didn't. Put it that way. Oh, I, I tuned out too, yeah. Like you said, like you were talking about on one of your other podcasts that, you know, as soon as the X-Men would go to space, for example, yep. you tuned out. Me too, man. Like anything intergalactic, I was like, forget it. You can have your Shi'ar, your Shi'ar and your scrolls. <laughs> I don't care. Get it off my, you know, get it out of my pages. And, and the same thing with the Savage Land. I don't want to see this. No. Why? But now anyway, Sauron is back. And man, I guarantee you. They went through all this big pomp and circumstances to have this creature join the ranks. Think about this for a second. They want Sauron, who is at least, like I would consider him like a 10th level draft pick. If I was picking someone to be on my team, <laughs> would Sauron be in my top 3,000? He would not. He wouldn't. Anyway, and not only that, they made him kill his own wife. <laughs> <laughs> to join the team. Is this guy going to be loyal to you? Well, you know, you sort of made me uh, kill my own wife there to turn into this pterodactyl here. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, unbelievable. Um, unbelievable, this Sauron. Oh, it's true. It's true. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it must have just been like, hey, who can I use? <laughs> well, you can use Sauron <laughs> if you want. All right. Hey. <laughs> oh, I think Rob had his whole pick, too, of the X Universe, Probably. which was pretty. Pretty interesting, and and they they chose the bro- like the blob and toad. Yeah. I can't stand either one of those, Chris. None. Yeah, they're they're kind of toad. rough. It's, it's like it makes you wonder, like was Mesmero not available? <laughs> oh my god! Like this this is the Superman equivalent to you know Mister Mitzpitzlik. You know what I mean? Like it's just. Uh, I, I don't care. Like I don't I don't perceive them as threats. They look no. like you know ham and eggers. They're you know the blob. I mean. He is – Rob Liefeld draws the blob so deformed. He just looks like a guy who was on, like, TLC's, my, you know, my 900-pound life. Yeah, there you go. And now he's on my 600-pound life and considered a weight loss success. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I did it. You know, hey, I dropped 300 pounds. Gosh. Oh, it's just it's just awful, awful, awful. It is. It's it's you know, especially coming off of uh, the, the MLF, you know, Strife and the gang. It's like – we have these new, I mean, they're silly characters, a lot of them, yeah, uh, yeah. like Thumbelina and stuff. I mean, but oh, oh, the wor- <laughs> who I think may be the worst Marvel character ever. I think, it, I, I think from a design made. standpoint, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, the worst, the absolute uh, worst. But like those characters, they were built up as something, and these characters are kind of like, like you said, like these are tenth round draft picks at this point. Um, it, it, I mean, we go from the MLF to the Juggernaut and Black Tom to Toad and the boys, you know, and, and Fantasia, of course. Um, <laughs> Who doesn't show up? <laughs> doesn't even bother to show up in her first appearance. Like, she got the letter in the mail. It's like, hey, your first appearance is X-Force number five. I'll get there when I get Was that her first appearance, just first appearance, just to cover? You know what? We haven't seen her yet, right? I mean, uh, I have to assume so. Um, Weird. We could, what weirdness. We, 
we could check that wiki here and uh, she, maybe she's, maybe she's pandoring in the background or something. She might be. Yeah, there's no. Uh, yeah, there's no mention of her on uh, in X Force number five on the wiki. So if we pop over to X Force number six, uh, yeah, she's listed as having her first appearance next issue. <laughs> oh, so this is this is a Hulk 180. This is like, a Hulk 180. Where the first appearance is in Hulk 180. Everybody. That's funny. Um, <laughs> now we do. Are oh, we not done? You know, we have cablegrams. We have our letters page here. Our first letter comes from Elijah in Indiana, and he thinks X Force is awesome. And he also has some numbered questions, which were always my favorite parts of a letter page. I loved it when they numbered their questions because it always meant that, like, maybe we were going to get some new information or maybe they were going to have a question that I had. And it also just made them easier to read. Um, Now, the first question is, when will we find out about Cable's powers? (sighs) They ain't telling, but they make sure to pimp the upcoming Cable miniseries as a place where you might find some answers. You won't, but uh, it's there if you want it. Well, speaking of Cable's backstory, so I listen to Rob's podcast all the time, and he's always got these fascinating backstories about his characters. So he goes into great detail, and he talked about Mm -hmm. Cable as a character and what he wanted to get off. So he wanted them shrouded in mystery. Of course he wanted them shrouded in mystery. They didn't have time to flesh out the characters. He he drew them, he put them on the page, and that that was the extent. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But one thing about – that was fascinating about Cable's origin – so, you know, Cable has the cool eyes, you know what I mean? So he has sure. that one glowing eye. He has the other eye with the scar. That's scarred, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Do you know that – do you know the genesis behind the eye story? I don't. I didn't know the, there was one. I thought it was just a, like a like a cool 90s oh, design. Sir. It's actually it's actually pretty heartbreaking, to be honest with you. So Rob's dad was a pastor, okay? Mm-hmm. And he had a serious stroke when they were when they were growing up, okay? Which okay. left him basically in a coma for eight or nine months. I believe this Boy. is this is how it goes. And uh, they didn't know if they were going to make it, but it you know it put the uh, it put the family in serious you know financial straits. And you know Rob took on a bunch of jobs even at a young age, you know mowing lawns or whatever he could do to help you know put some money in the uh, the family the bank office, account. Yeah. Yeah, selling his comics or whatever, whatever he could do. You know, he was trying his best as a kid because you know his, his he didn't know if his dad was going to live or die. No doubt. Fortunately, his dad came around. He woke up from his coma. Okay. But when he came there, he had to you know he had to relearn how to walk. He had to relearn how to speak. Everything. You know what I mean? Sure. But the nerve damage was so bad in his face, he ended up losing one eye. Mm-hmm. So Rob took that inspiration of his dad. Losing his eye, that became the glowing eye. So the glowing eye is actually a tribute to his father. How about that? Now, so he's developing all these characters. So he's developing X-Force and all this type of stuff, right? Like he's building all these new characters. He's got Domino. He's got Cable. Deadpool. Gideon. Gideon, all these people. Carol, yeah. Now, on the other side, you've got his two buddies, his two henchmen, you know, Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane. Okay. And they're seeing, you know, they're all biting out of the same apple. Like, you know, like Todd McFarlane has Spider-Man. He's exploding on Spider-Man, selling millions sure. of copies. Uh, coming up, they had Jim Lee, who, you know, who was about to explode with X-Men number one. You know what I mean? So these mm-hmm. guys are all together. Now, Rob gets a call from Jim Lee, and Jim Lee goes, hey, Rob, you know, I, I just got the call. He said, oh, well, what's this call? He said, you know, they're going to they're gonna green light me for next summer for X-Men number one. Now, mm-hmm. Rob at this point is only doing New Mutants, but he sees these guys as his peers, okay? Sure. So 
he pitches the whole thing. He said, "Yeah, I'm doing New Mutants." He he said the only way he could he could you know stay relevant was to turn this thing into an X book. So he created the whole drama behind, "Hey, you know, New Mutants is sort of on an island by itself. Why don't we you know put an X and you know have synergy with the other X books?" So X Force. So he pitched that. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the you know between all the editors and all that stuff, they greenlit X Force. So now Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld are are pitching these two big, you know, massive They're helming, yeah, yes, these yeah. new projects. But Rob starts out of the gate by introducing a ton of new characters, and yes. I mean a ton. So he gets a call from Todd McFarlane. He's like, "Hey, hey, bud, uh, you uh, making all these these new characters here? Uh, you can't be making the, the new characters. You're making us look bad, there, bud." <laughs> and and uh, you know, because at the time they were getting royalties. So every time yes. you made a new character, you got royalties for a new character. So Rob knew that it was to his advantage to create all these new characters because he got royalties for the creation of them all. No now doubt. Think about, yeah. think about Todd McFarlane. He's on Spider-Man, but his idea of Spider-Man, he wanted to introduce all the rogue gallery. Okay. He wanted, he wanted to do the classic. He, he wanted, wanted to revisit to, all the classics. Yeah. And he did. So he brought back the lizard, you know, Green Goblin, Mysterio. He revamped all these in his own you know Todd McFarlane style look sure but meanwhile Rob was just banging it all out now you know he was just trying to stay relevant so this is where he created you know all these all these new characters he didn't want to be left behind so this is where all these characters like Cable and Domino and all these people we met and the mm -hmm. X-Force came to be and I, I love that Cable's origin story was was about his dad you know what I mean he incorporated oh, sure. parts of his life but he also then gets a call from Jim Lee and he's like uh, Rob, do you know that uh, you got the scar on the wrong eye there? And he's like, what do you mean, Jim? He said, no, that's the way I designed them. He said, you should have the scar on the glowing eye. He's like, no, I intentionally put it there. Anyway, he, he just told the lie to, to Jim Lee and said, no, no, I just, you know, mm -hmm. I just told him a story and just said, you know, everything is going to be revealed. But uh, to honestly, to, to circle back around to the entire question, I think that to say that Cable had this predetermined backstory, I think would have been a bit of a lie. I think he made some of oh, it up yeah. as it goes, but mm -hmm. some of his inspirations for design elements and all that stuff, especially the eye, uh, I, I love the fact that it was built around his father who, who was going through a problem, you know what I mean? So a, a lot story, of that is personal, yeah. is what you yeah. see there, and I, and I love that. No, that's super cool. And, you know, I, I love the fact that uh, that there there was so much to explore there um nowadays it doesn't feel like we get well we don't get new characters nowadays so it's almost like a moot point but we have this you know a new character who's taking the comics world by storm and cable and there are just so many layers that future writers can and would you know kind of exploit and mine and you get to find out all the reasons behind all of the different little uh, design elements that came into play here it's a uh, Definitely, I don't think when when Rob put you know pen to paper that we knew that he was going to be Cyclops' son. We didn't know any of that. Um, no, absolutely. But, but I, I don't mean, think Rob knew that. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't think anybody knew that. I think that was a happy accident more than anything. But uh, but just the fact that there was there were so many mysterious elements to the character that even I mean the character here is like a year year plus old. And people are like, hey, when are we going to find these things out? And we wouldn't find these things out for quite a while. So that's a, that's pretty cool. And definitely a lost, like a thing that's lost to the ages as, as it pertains to the comics industry now. It's just, 
Absolutely. We don't get that. But uh, no, that's an awesome story from uh, from Rob there. I got I definitely got to get around to listening to that show. Um, the second question from our man Elijah says, where's Richter? And we hear that he's coming soon. I don't remember when he comes, but he does eventually. Yeah, it's it's down the road, but he comes. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, since we've already got Shatterstar, will we see Longshot in X-Force? And we learn that Longshot will be showing up not in X-Force, but in the pages of X-Men Volume 2. And it won't be long, actually. It'll only be like six months from now. What is the deal here with Longshot? Like, I don't know. It, it, he was so hot. Like, when I was growing up in the 80s and all that stuff, Longshot, when Art Adams released Longshot, mm-hmm. this was a mind blower. This was a huge, huge, huge deal, man. Like, sure. this miniseries was on fire. When he was when he was doing X-Men back in the day, there was nobody bigger than Art Adams, man. I'm telling oh, yeah. you right now. Everybody loved his Wolverine. Everybody loved his designs for all the women. It was just, it was groundbreaking. And I know a lot of the artists loved him as well, and they mimicked his style. I mean, you take a look at even Liefeld's early New Mutants. I mean, that cable on the cover, you know, the original cable image is mm-hmm. 100% an Art Adams drawing. I mean, I'll yeah. tell you right now. Yeah, definitely inspired, for sure. But, you know, you get you get long shot and... He comes back a couple times, but, I mean, he just disappears at, into the ether. Like, to me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he, he joins he joins X-Factor in the 2000s. Yes, with the Peter David uh, X-Factor investigations run, yeah. yeah. But what happens to him after that? Like, I, I've been out of the, X, you know, the X-Men well, universe for a little while, but do we see him? Is he a recent character? Where is he? What's going on with Longshot? I want to say the last thing I saw from Longshot was a mini series called Longshot Saves the Marvel Universe or something like that. Yes, which, oh, that was, which was awful. Yeah, which yes. was really really bad because I was more I, of like a they, parody. It was it was very much a parody. Yeah, and like they they, I mean, because like his whole thing is that he was like his whole design, like he had the mullet and everything, and he kept the mullet like throughout most of his run. But then they got rid of the mullet like as a hey, we're bringing this guy into the into the 21st century, but. <laughs> You lost some of the charm there. I love there. the mullet. I'll be honest. Well, yeah, it worked. It worked, and it was definitely just something of the of the era. I, I as as a character, I never got long shot. Um, I came in a little late. You know, I came in around now, so or a little bit after now. So the first I knew of long shot was from that Mojoverse storyline in X Men Volume Two, where he just showed up and then he left uh, two issues later. So i didn't know he was like a big deal from the 80s i didn't know he was even a member of the team until i you know started doing my my research and stuff but uh oh man yeah. he was hot he was hot bananas back in the day brother i guarantee you right now it's true it's true and it was one of those things where i never understood when i did come around to the understanding that he was a player and that people that he was a fan favorite i always wondered why he never came back um i don't know what it was like you had characters like uh like Blink in the Age of Apocalypse. You had uh, Magic after yes. her passing of the Legacy Virus. Like all these characters that people really wanted back. And for whatever reason, like for like a decade plus, Marvel would not give them to us. It was just it's so really weird. strange. I, I guess it's your I guess it's the creator's decision. I mean, when you're Must looking be. at your lineup and you're looking at it, I mean, a lot of people will be turned off by Longshot because of his, you know, stupid powers and his relationship to Mojo. Sure. And the different things that that it, I mean that's annoying stuff, but mm-hmm. the character design is flawless. You know that the character design actually almost started out being almost like a star brand. I could see that. 
I yeah. can see that. Like, yeah. I mean, I'll show you one of the original designs for him, and it's actually the star brand on his suit. Oh, <laughs> like, not, it's not just the not just the actual little the little shatter star star. Yeah, it's no oh, man, it's it's literally like almost almost exactly the star brand symbol in the original sketches for him. So I mean, oh, there's a lot of inspiration there, man. So I don't know. Yeah, and last last I saw him in the uh, in the Peter David uh, X Factor was like they finally explained his connection to Shatterstar, and it was far more confusing than it just being Shatterstar was was uh, Longshot's son. Oh, like boy. somehow, like somehow Longshot was Shatterstar's son. <laughs> and like not everybody needs to be related. <laughs> this is the old this is the old Star Wars problem that yeah. you know what. Not every single new character you you introduce has to be related to someone, or the For grandfather sure. of someone, or you know the the uh, genetic offspring of someone's DNA. Oh, whoever. You know? yeah. Don't need to be. Come on, just a new character. We're good with that. Because I think like Shatterstar was Shatterstar's own father, but then he was also long shots. It was very very weird. But uh, uh, see that this is where you get too muddled. You start to muddle the murder here with that. <laughs> Uh, question four from Elijah's mail says, uh, what's Domino's story and they ain't telling. <laughs> There's a reason they ain't telling. They don't yes. know. <laughs> they haven't made it up yet. That's exactly why. I mean, not to put the cart way too in front of the horse here, but we're going to find out that this ain't even Domino. Rob loved the mystery, but I think sure. part of the reason that he loved the mystery is that he didn't have to. Uh, he could just draw these cool looking characters, throw them on the screen and figure it out after the fact. You know what I mean? So it was yeah. more or less a, you know, a character dump. Yeah. What was it? Was it a uh, Robert Kaniga whose like writing method was like he was coming up with the story as he was writing it. Like he didn't plot ahead. He wanted right to, he wanted to discover the story as it played out. And I think that's uh, I think that's a lot of what we're getting here. Um, now question five, will Sunspot ever join X-Force? They say probably not. They are lying or they're wrong. I think, I think the real question here is, will Chris ever care if Sunspot <laughs> ever joined X-Force? And I can tell them the answer right now. They don't have to wait for it. And it's no. <laughs> Now, the last question is, what is the connection between Cable and Strife? And they say that they'll tell us next year, and they <laughs> could do. You imagine, could you imagine if they just answered that in the letters page? Could oh, you imagine that? It's like, well, well oh. one of them is this, and this is that. And, well, when Strife uh, takes off his helmet, it's actually revealed that he's actually Cable. Now, not to be confused, but <laughs> can you imagine? That is funny. Uh, boy. Our next message comes from Don in New York. And uh, this dude goes on and on and on, uh, basically telling us everything he likes about each of the characters. Uh, so we're not going to go through that, but it is worth noting that he does mention something kind of interesting at the end of his letter regarding the deaths of Doug Ramsey and Warlock. And he cites the scene with Warlock's ashes laid atop Doug's grave in particular, and he posits that maybe they might combine into Douglock, which... Uh, uh, he's a visionary, this guy. Is this the first printed mention of a Douglock? I wonder. That's the first um, thing that. It, yeah. Well, I've, now I've never heard it before this. Oh, because he he will become Douglock. Yeah. <laughs> so, he, no, yeah. But what I'm saying is, like, this guy's this guy's oh, pretty he, visionary around this. He's here, a prognosticator. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Our editor, however, thinks Douglock is too complicated an idea. Yeah, exactly. Then he stole it straight from the letters page he and put did. it into play. You got no idea, Mr. Editor. Uh, from Don, we go to Dom. In Jacksonville, he felt that the Spidey team up was rushed, and uh, yeah, it, it felt rushed. Oh crap! <laughs> he 
he also suggests that maybe Rob was too busy filming 501 Jeans commercials to uh, to get all the work in here, which, you know, maybe he was. Listen here, Rob Liefeld was making all kinds of deals outside of Marvel, brother. I guarantee you, he was uh, he was filling his uh, his bank account with backloads of money. He had backhoes dumping it. He had like he had like Scrooge McDuck's pool getting ready there, diving yep. into the pool of coins. You know what I mean? I will give him this. He's a very very savvy businessman. A man, no doubt. He saved his money and it paid off. I mean, to this day. He's still in demand. I mean, he is still mega red hot. I mean, he's a pariah in some parts of the industry. You know what I mean? Like people still look at him and go, oh, cap tits. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's all they got. He can't draw feet, cap tits. And, you know, <laughs> people hate him for that. But this guy still sells books. It's he true. still sells books, Chris. And you know what? He's still using that style. He's not changing a damn thing up. 100%. 100%. Now, our next message comes from Sean in Brooklyn. And he says, I just finished reading X-Force number three, and I must say, Rob, you are the best artist in the entire galaxy. So uh, uh, is he talking about our galaxy? Uh, well, uh, well, I know I know, I know, that, <laughs> I know that even Rob himself will disagree with this one. And it's kind of weird because I think he thinks himself as being equal or better than McFarlane and Jim Lee. Mm. But when it comes to actually, you know uh, – Someone being better, he always counts Mark Silvestri as being better than them all, including himself. Really? That, really? To me, that's weird because, to me, Silvestri is definitely the fourth man on the totem pole when it comes to those those four. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, maybe fifth if we put in like maybe Eric Larson when he's on his when he's on his game. Oh well, when when was that, Chris? <laughs> There was that one issue. Uh, no. <laughs> no, and I mean, we, we talk about a Sylvester drawn book in this very show in Wolverine and so many of the, 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 uh, you know, things that are levied at Liefeld about like, he can't draw feet and all this stuff. You could say that and more about Sylvester. Sylvester doesn't draw feet at all. You know, no. he never gets called he out. That, for it. He got that little mound or, or no, what Sylvester does is he creates a lot of motion. So yeah. he's got a lot of like slash marks around everything, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Which covers up different parts of stuff that he doesn't want to draw, <laughs> which is genius when you think about it. Oh, no doubt. It's definitely a, a value-added shortcut, 100%. Yeah, if, um, I, if I don't want to draw legs, hey, how about a big chunk of metal that's flying out of somewhere that will cover up the entire set of legs? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, Sean in Brooklyn wraps up by saying Fab, Fabian's dialogue is perfect. Does, it doesn't oh. always, you know, it doesn't always go to the right person, but it's it's it, it's it's sparse. So I guess it's perfect in its sparseness. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, finally, Richard in New Jersey says he loves X Force and he hopes that Richter and Sunspot join the team soon. Well, they're coming. They're coming. Amen. Uh, Amen. We do get a Make Mine Marvel. You want to hit the folks with it? Oh hell yes! Until strife is unveiled as a scroll, Make Mine Marvel. Is that funny? No. No. No, it's not, sir. It is not funny. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if that was humorous. Uh, I, I, I am, I am, you know, well known as being very dense. So I thought maybe it was just me not getting it. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't understand that. That's not funny at all. Anybody can be a scroll, Chris. You might be talking to a scroll Chris Bailey here right now. You don't even know. Are you secretly invading this show? Listen, I'm slowly taking over this Chris and Reggie <laughs> network. <laughs> Holy creeping in the back door, oh, baby. And the secret invasion <laughs> is on. Uh, now, that's the end of the issue, but we do have 
The Return of the Coolometer. Yeah, baby. It's better than the book itself, of course. Yes, of course. Now, we're going from cool to uncool, and according to the Marvel bullpen, the coolest thing from October 1991, or cover date December 1991, is Pee-wee Herman. (laughs) Indeed. Everybody's got a Pee-wee impression. Man. I love Saturday morning cartoons, and Pee-wee's Playhouse is one of my favorite things ever. I mean, I love Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I like, well, I didn't like Big Top Pee-wee, so I'm gonna rescind that one. But it's weird. It's like, you know, it was it was a it was a dash of like kids regular TV show, but it had this dash of like adult snark. I so mean, realism, yeah, just really you weird. Picture, Picture, I mean, it was one of those shows where there was so much hidden for adults. So they had Cowboy Curtis, who was played by Samuel L. Jackson, okay? Or no, it was uh, the, was uh, oh, no, or not, it was, yes, it was Samuel L., wasn't it? No, it was the guy from The Matrix. Lawrence Fishburne, yes. That's him. Lawrence That's Fishburne, him. yes. Yes, it's played by Lawrence Fishburne. So, but the thing is with him was that he was subtly gay. So really? Missy Vaughn, who know who was peewee's you know love interest he always loved missy vaughn you know what i mean he really really wanted to get it on with missy vaughn in the show but she was always after cowboy curtis and cowboy curtis would find up all kinds of hilarious ways to dodge her you know her uh her advances towards her and it is so (laughs) funny but you know he's he's like the gay cowboy he's got the pink shirt he's got all this stuff and it's so funny and what's also funny is that my wife hates peewee herman like she despises (laughs) the ground she thinks he's a creep all she remembers is him masturbating in a theater right (laughs) which actually i think that's the reason why he's in this coolometer because that was july of 1991 i guess that that makes you cool (laughs) <laughs> to the Marvel bullpen, it does. <laughs> I've only done it once, and I'm, I don't think I'm cool. I don't. But anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> but, but anyway, we'll pull at bull concerts. Or, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I uh, I have a Pee Wee Herman doll. I, you <laughs> know, one of those big ones. It has like a wire frame so you can adjust its legs and its arms. Does and it talk? It's, it's, it's like one. No. We yes, it actually. I think it does. I think it does. I don't know if it has. No, I don't think it does. It's just it's just the doll. But anyway, my wife is completely creeped out by it. She thinks it's the most disgusting thing in the world. And, you know, I always make sure that Pee Wee makes at least one appearance from the storage room at least once a year. I love it. <laughs> just drives her crazy. <laughs> I used to have all the uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse action figures, uh, oh. except for uh, I didn't I didn't actually get the play set, which I think came with uh, the chair, which what, cherry is it? Cherry, absolutely. I didn't know. I didn't have the. Uh, I didn't have to be. I didn't have the uh, the playhouse either. But I mean, mm. that set looked amazing. Oh yeah, I had the uh, like the scooter that he flew out of the house on at the end. I mean, that was. <laughs> yes, that's cool awesome. Stuff. I had Cowboy Curtis. I don't know what that says about me. I had a Cowboy Curtis with a broken arm. Ooh, so, I yeah. used him as a wrestler, as Sam okay. Houston. Yeah, he was Sam Houston, Jake Roberts' brother. Wrestle your AWA figures. Uh, (laughs) Exactly right. Now, the next coolest thing here is, uh, you know, there's no no conflict of interest here, but the next coolest thing is Marvel stock. (laughs) Which was on (laughs) fire in the 90s, of course. You know, great investment, but... uh, just uh, just wait a hot minute and then you can uh, kiss your cash goodbye because uh, boy did that crash. Oh boy, uh, by design, by design. Yes, uh, we, we talked all of yeah, stock. We talked about that in the uh, second part of the of the direct market weird comics history. It was a lot of a lot of pirating and uh, <laughs> a lot of 
it's just underhanded stuff in, at play there. Uh, the next coolest thing was virtual reality. I don't under, I don't remember virtual reality being a big deal back in the early 90s. Do you? I mean, I remember. I think it was just a concept. I remember Virtual Boy for uh, the mm. Game Boy. Remember that? Remember that? that yeah, I think we were still. Yeah, well, that was garbage. I think we're still like five years away from that. Oh, but, well, uh, well, like, I don't know where this came from. Was it Lawnmower Man? Was that a thing back in the could, day? Oh, you know what? I bet it was. I Lawn bet it was Lawnmower Man. And then, then reboot and different things like that. When did those When did those things come online? Lawnmower Man was. 1992, so it was probably very much in the, uh, you know, the milieu, you know? So, uh, yeah, March of 92 is when it was released, so I'm sure people knew all about what was coming. So that might just be it there. Um, I, You know, the thing with virtual reality, I mean, they're doing those, like you have, like, the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox. They have their virtual reality headsets and whatnot. I wear glasses that are way too damn thick to wear a virtual reality helmet. So... I feel like I'm missing out. <laughs> I, I'll never <laughs> well, my, be able to do it. My kids love the virtual reality. I mean, they have the PlayStation goggles and all that <laughs> stuff. And my uh, my oldest son is actually wanting uh, one of the Oculus headsets for Christmas. So, you know, okay. my, my kids are in deep when it comes to virtual reality. But, uh, you know, VR was never my thing. I mean, we, did, no. we just didn't have it back in the day. So No, certainly not. It wasn't a thing to even consider if you wanted it. And they kept trying to, like, launch it when the science wasn't there yet. Just like the Virtual Boy, which is like, this oh, isn't virtual. Is this is just sticking your head into garbage. a pair of goggles. That was this trash. Is, oh, absolutely. So absolutely. I wanted one. I loved the oh, idea. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, vectors. You know, everything looks 3D. And the only time I ever used one was at a Blockbuster video, and they had one set up as a demo. Okay. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try it. And there was a long lineup, and I had to wait, you know, 15 minutes just to, you know, tinker around with it. And the very second that I played that thing, I was like, this is dog crap. And yeah. that was the end of that. Never touched it again. No, and I think it was like 300 bucks or something. So, I mean, that's way too much. If but I look uh, back at $300 that I saved, you know, as in, like <laughs> happily, was that. There you go. Uh, the next coolest thing we have is 70s rock music. Uh, some uh, Jethro so, Tull, maybe uh, Pink Floyd. No, I think I'm going to disagree with that. That's not. That's nowhere near anywhere on my coolometer. Like it may be <laughs> like beyond the bottom. Like I mean, they got some decent stuff. Like every every era has its, sure. its music, but uh, you know, rock for me was it 1980s. I mean, I loved <laughs> rock bands, metal bands, you know, hard rock bands. That's Twisted Sister, baby, the price. That sounds familiar. I heard that song once or twice. A few but, times. 29, yeah, but, I think. But, I, I, you know, I don't know. 70s rock is just, uh, I guess, it's, it's not my wheelhouse. Let's put it that way. For me, if it's 70s music, it's it's going to be Yacht Rock. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, can yeah. listen to, like, Doobie Brothers and, and you know, Jeff, uh, not Jethro Tull, the other one, uh, Steely Dan, Christopher Cross. That's not really rock. but It's I mean, not it's, rock. Yeah, it's, like, just music you listen to if you're drunk or ready to commit yeah. suicide. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Preferably not at the same time. Um, <laughs> the next coolest thing is uh, Dirt Roads. Yeah, don't know where they're going with that one, but I think yeah. there might be a body at the end of said Dirt Road, and we're not going to talk about that because uh, next is Serial Killers. Serial? Uh, what, what in the hell are they? And, you know, I think because, uh, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer was like like caught right around now, right? Yeah, so it was he all was caught in July of 1991, 
and the Marvel bullpen thinks that serial killers are cool? Huh? Yeah, this, this is misguided. Now think of, now adult Chris loves serial killer documentaries. Don't ask me. I find them fascinating. You know, I well, like very, I, yeah, true crime yeah, stuff. I mean, I mean, but it's all yeah. about you know, how they ended up catching the guy. It's not that I fascinate about you know how many people he killed. It's that exactly. you know I I enjoy. Well, I can't say I enjoy. I'm I, I'm. Uh, There's a fascination there. There's a yes. there because I mean it's compelling. It's, in it's, the story that somebody sure. could take somebody's life like it just in droves and you know eluding the cops all this time and the whole story of you know how they finally stopped this guy i find that fascinating it's a it's it's a good story it is but, it is and i mean that's short-sighted man that, yeah, that's true. dumb stuff there if they said serial killer documentaries here i'd agree i mean i i took i took several forensic psychology classes that were predicated in things like serial killers and uh, spree murders, it's like it is very, very fascinating. There yep. is, it's just so different from the norm that it there is a there is a, a compelling nature to it. So I could see that, but the killers themselves, come on, Marvel, get over it. Nah. Uh, the next thing, the, the next coolest thing is arena football. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So, says you, not for this guy. <laughs> Listen. For me, for Chris Bailey, if it's not in a wrestling ring or a boxing ring or an octagon, I ain't watching you. Sorry. Not happening. <laughs> now, you know, if it's a halftime celebration or something, you know, I'll, I'll check out a Super Bowl halftime celebration, maybe mm-hmm. even the last 15 minutes, uh, you know, of the Super Bowl, that, you know, just to be able to be able to talk about the water cooler discussion the next day. Yeah. Now, the XFL every now and then used to catch my attention. You know, first when it launched, I watched the first couple of games. I you know, mm-hmm. didn't particularly like them. And when it relaunched again, I watched 30 minutes of it. So that's about <laughs> the extent of my uh, my football. But I, I don't care for it whatsoever. I don't know about you. No, not at all. Uh, I can't. Uh, I remember I tried because I, I would always get signed up into like the fantasy football games, the fantasy football leagues at work oh, and yeah. stuff. Um, there would be years where like I worked with a lot of truck drivers and a lot of, uh, a lot of warehouse folks, a lot of office people. So like every group had their own, you know, football. We had like a pick them for one. We had a, just the league in another one. And I don't know Jack about football. Uh, like I still cite Mark Gastineau as my favorite football player. And he, I, I think he stopped playing like in 1986 for the Jets. Um, <laughs> Who that is there you yeah go. There, he was the only starting lineup action figure i had for the longest time but uh <laughs> but Which, like speaking of starting lineup <laughs> like what were those things they were the worst because you couldn't even pose you couldn't do anything they were basically cheap knockoff statues yes but you, yeah. you could like you couldn't assemble like you couldn't buy an entire team so it's no, not like no no you know, have one team go against another team. Like there was just like random characters and, yeah. you know, always, you might you know, get six a year. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what they just, they were for adults. They were like the pre McFarlane era, just junkie a stick on a shelf. Definitely. Yeah. Cause like they'd be in like these poses where like they're diving for a, like a, for a ball or they're, or they're like holding something over their head. It's yeah. It was the precursor to the McFarlane era, but, uh, but yeah, I I would have to try to learn about football, and I would watch on the NFL channel. They had a show called No Huddle, which nope. is like a you watch a game, but instead of taking the break for every huddle, it's just all the plays. And so instead of sitting there in front of the TV for like three hours watching a football game, you're watching it for like 20 minutes. I was like, okay, I could do that. <laughs> but even that, 
I, I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to care. I, I all I wanted to know was like, how did my players do and uh, how did I do on the pick'em? I didn't I couldn't do anything past that. But uh, yeah, I guess arena football was still pretty new at this time. Uh, this is ninety one. The first arena football game was June nineteenth, nineteen eighty seven, and that was uh, the Washington Commandos versus the Pittsburgh Gladiators. And uh, I don't know it. who won because I'm not going to click the link. <laughs> the the next coolest thing is multi-format first issues oh here's what i want you to do if you gave me a time machine this would be <laughs> thing that i would do i would go back in time and i would shut this shit down before it all began that's what that would be my john connor would be to, <laughs> to end the tyranny of the gimmick covers i guarantee oh. you that's what i would take out you would never is- see it be erased from history but I'll, I'll hand them this much they didn't put it at the top of the coolometer so <laughs> maybe enough. they're trying to they're trying to do that whole like you know you boil a frog slowly sort of thing here for us oh, the next coolest thing is da 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 beverly hills 90210 you're damn right it is now this should be forced up to the top of the cool meter because this was lying. my pleasures and yet i don't even care I will tell the world that I love this show. I loved it. Actually, oh, yeah. first when myself and my wife got, you know, when we were going out, this was our show. This was mm-hmm. our first hour show as a couple, you know what I mean? Sure. And I didn't know what to think first. I sat down and I watched, you know, hey, you want to watch 90210? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to get in her pants. And uh, <laughs> But anyway, then all of a sudden I stopped going for the pants and I was like, damn, this is a good show. Look at Dylan. He's a smoke mm-hmm. show. <laughs> but man it was great i, I just oh, loved everything about the show we're, we're actually in the middle of a rewatch of that right right now as we there speak here we watched four episodes last night uh we're around the part where dylan is starting to realize that he was reincarnated so we uh we just watched his uh his old western adventure um and we did just uh just do the episode a couple nights ago where where Dylan goes to uh, Mexico to get his money back with J.J. Uh, Jones, played by the fantastic Wings Hauser. Nice. Uh, that is one of the greatest episodes of any television show ever made. Uh, I, I don't care what anybody says. No, I don't care either. So if you're judging us for like a 90210, <laughs> you can just go watch crappy TV. There you go. <laughs> the next coolest thing is Apatosaurus Skulls. Yeah, boy, are you uh, are you a big deal just coming up with a patasaurus? Look at you go looking at that, that dictionary. Is that something that was discovered? Um, I, I'm I'm looking here. I'm trying to find out if there's anything that was would put this into uh, into the into like the cultural forefront here. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> This is this is just off the cuff. Let's throw something stupid in here, and that's it. I'm, I'm finding here a paleontologist named Robert T. Baker argued in the 90s that the Ajax and the Acelsius were in fact sufficiently distinct to merit a separate genus or genus. So I maybe they the Apatosaurus led to a discovery of a whole different genus of dinosaurs around now, but who knows. Um, yep. I mean, we didn't have Wikipedia back in 1991, so you would have to have your finger on the uh, on the on the pulse of paleontology to get that. Uh, the next coolest thing is hipsterism. Oh no 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 no, no 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 no! 
this is so you always get in a generation you'll always get something that comes up where people try to adjust their style or make a statement and look at me well, you know what you're all phonies number one you're, you're not yourself. <laughs> you, you can all these goths out there phonies fakes same thing with hipsters I don't care how many pairs of green socks you get and pairs of khakis at the you know the khaki burn. I, I I don't care. You don't put down your put down your stupid Starbucks. Put away your 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 iPad writing your manuscript at Starbucks. You know these writing just in public. <laughs> phony, 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 phony morons and hipsterisms, goth people. You name it. You're not impressing me much. Move on. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> the next coolest thing is old westerns. Well, well, this is pretty low on the hipster, hipster on the uh, coolometer. I will say yeah, that we're starting into the uncool uh, portion. Yes. Yeah. Now, as a kid, I will say my dad raised me on you know old Lone Ranger rerun, Cisco Kid had some John Wayne movies, and you know Clint Eastwood stuff was all good enough. I would never mm-hmm. consider myself a western fan, but. I was raised on the Lone Ranger, and I, I thought that was pretty damn cool as a kid. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not offended or uh, or impressed with this, this selection. It, it's fine. I wish I liked Westerns because it's like all that's on TV in the weekends. So it's like if I liked it, I'd be in heaven, but I, I don't. So I, I'm not. <laughs> uh, the next, you know, the next uncoolest thing is dental hygiene. Oh, my God. I, can we just send one message to our listeners here? Can mm. you please, for the love of God. The PSA and is coming right now. Brush your teeth, people. Nobody likes to be around someone who, I don't know, swallowed a shit sandwich in the morning. No, nobody needs that. Listen, do, do a check. Before you go out the door, you know, breathe on. Breathe, breathe your on. hand. If it coils up or folds up, you need to clean that mess up. You need to go get some scope, something. Brush up, brush Brush, yes. So they used to have a saying in, you know, growing up. It was, there was a commercial and it always said, brush your teeth. You brush your teeth, and you should brush your mm-hmm. teeth. Chit, 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 people. Brush them. Thank you. Fight those cavity creeps, man. Do it. <laughs> uh, the, the next thing is in, is informationals. I thought this was infomercials. No, informationals. Um, I Let's see here. What is an informational? According to the dictionary, uh, the definitions of Oxford languages, this relates to or is characterized by facts about something. So providing information. So an informational brochure is their uh, is their uh, sentence here, using it in a sentence. Um, so would this podcast be considered an informational? Yes, and I'm and I'm upset at how uncool we are on the list. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Uh, the next uncoolest thing is Catwoman. What? What is wrong with these people? Michelle Pfeiffer will shut this down. Catwoman was never on cool. I'm sorry. And I know I know this is in a Marvel comic, so you know, well done putting your competition in a uh, you know, in, in a on cool category. But believe me, even the like the new fifty two version was like at least okay. <laughs> but there, 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 there is one version of Catwoman, and uh, you, you can you can spell this out. It was probably that would be considered on cool, but it was way after this time. Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember uh, there was a Halle Berry movie, right? <laughs> and if there was a stinko meter, this would be right at the top. That was and a- uh, they actually did a um, comic adaptation of the Halle Berry Catwoman, and it was written by Chuck Austin. Really? So uh, why I Chuck? Mean, I, I, it, I mean, Chuck Austin is notorious, but to have him write. The uh, comic adaptation of the Halle Berry Catwoman, that is just 
how many chain letters in hell did we break for that to be a thing in this planet? <laughs> um, and of course, I own it. I, 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 I had to buy it when I saw it. But uh, Oh, my. Yeah, it's that, something. That's sad. That's sad. It's I don't know what that says about you. No, it says plenty. Uh, <laughs> the next uncoolest thing is our friend Cy Sperling. Oh, he's not only the founder of the hair club for men, but he's also a client. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know he was dead. He's so dead? Bad. Yes, Queen. I, did, I didn't even know he was sick. Yes, I think he died in, it was either 2002 or or February 2020. I don't know. Uh, oh. I think it was 2000. Yeah, apparently he died at the age of 78. Now, if you don't oh, know who Cyrus Burling then. was, Cyrus yeah. Burling was God to any man who had male pattern baldness, okay? So this guy was like the master of hair restoration for males, you know what I mean? So you know how women, like, they have what's called weaves. So you stitch hair in and sure. it looks authentic and, you know, you could pretty well have a bald lady. And as long as she got enough, you know, hair to stitch some hair in, you're good to go, you know what I mean? Popular mm-hmm. with Afro-American ladies and all that stuff. Well, they took that technology and they gave it to men. So all these guys who were going around with the Hulk Hogan horseshoe could be the sexy man once again with all these weaves, you know what I mean? I guess they 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 took the, uh, you know, the edges of the horseshoe and just, you know, weaved this gigantic blob of hair on top. And he bragged that, that he himself was bald until he took his hair restoration system. So that's why he always bragged that, you know, he's not only the founder, but he's also a client. And, uh, yes, it was 2020 he passed away. He, he, actually, he died oh, February oh. of this month. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, February of this year, I should say. He did a lot of good for a lot of dudes. He made sure that they were. He was getting that. Uh, they were still getting that. Uh, that jackhammer going. How about that? Good wow. Yeah. So, Cy Sperling. The next uncoolest thing, the third uncoolest thing of the month, is uh, our druids. Uh, I've never been a druids fan. I, I don't know what to say. You know, they to me they they killed the Halloween movie franchise by you know making Michael Myers uh, associated with druids. I hated it. I didn't oh, like druids did? in professional wrestling with the Undertaker. Never did like it because they always used to take away the Undertaker, dead and all. So I always hated them as a kid. I can just I can just do without druids. Just I don't care. I didn't know that druids were part of the the Halloween story. How about that? Oh, go up to Halloween, I don't know, with four or five, you're introduced to the Druids. It adds a a layer of terrible context to the Michael Myers character. Crash. I've seen zero Halloween movies, but that's no surprise to anybody listening. Well, you'll um, really not want to see this one. <laughs> I'll make sure I don't. I'm, try, I'm looking here to see if there was anything in the, the cultural you know, uh, zeitgeist here uh, uh, pertaining to Druids, and there's nothing. Um, the next thing is self-organized criticality okay that's just somebody who just wants to put cool words on a page so let's see if we can find out what self self-organized criticality is it is uh, a property of dynamical systems that have a critical point as an attractor it's uh, physics related um it's been 20 odd years since i've taken physics so i haven't the foggiest friggin idea what any of this is here i'm guessing uh if we go back to like the moratory show and we like look at the very hoi polloi books that the editors pretend to read i'm guessing one of them saw you know self-organized criticality on a maybe on an informational somewhere and they thought it would be fun to to stick in there yeah now the most uncool thing of the month is network tv ah see 
back in the day, that's where we were raised on. That's all we knew was network TV. But, you know, all of a sudden it became on cool. Sorry, you know, if you're not part of the cable, you know, you weren't in with the cool crowd. If you weren't watching Fox and, you know, these different cable networks back in the day, you you know, you weren't on the breast. And, and same thing today. I mean, every single person, if it's a popular show, it's on a streaming service sure. or it's on, you know, a premium channel you have to pay for. Well, excuse me. But the thing is, the advantage that these channels have over network TV is that they could they don't have to worry about a bit of nudity or some swearing or some controversial material. You know, what it's I mean? a little bit more lax. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, people giving network TV a bad rap, you know, of course, they got a bad rap. They, they can't do all the things that a cable network or a premium service or a streaming service can do. Of course not. Sure. So no. anyway, uh, I watch actually... a lot. We could actually look up some uh, some television listings from uh, the 1991 season here, and they uh, hold here. We had Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures on Fox. That was a TV show. Oh, that had, was uh, trash. We had uh, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, which no, uh, I think is lost. wasn't that the uh, that was like the Ferris Bueller ripoff, right? Ugh. Uh, in Living Color, Married with Children, Herman's stop, Head. Stop. Um, let's see. Evening Shade, Full House, Home Improvement, Roseanne, Coach. Ah, um, look at this. Now you tell me all those shows. That's some classic TV right there. You sure. tell me TV is dead. Not yeah. a chance. Dinosaurs, Wonder Years. Yeah. A lot of people listening. What was that last one? The Wonder Years. Ah, oh, see, this is one of those things when someone mentions something that my ears tweak up right away. The Wonder sure. Year is Chris Bailey's favorite TV show. No doubt, you know? from the from the from from all of television. All of television, one hundred percent. That is my absolute favorite television show of all time. I can tell you something that that is the one show that used to make me cry like a little girl. I was just about uh, to say the same thing. Love yeah, it's. It's a, it's a it's a goodie. It's a goodie for sure. Kevin and Winnie love story. The way they wrapped it up, like the last episode. I am telling you right now. Brutal. I was. Yep. My lip was trembling. I had tears <laughs> flowing out of my face. I I, I I couldn't keep it together at all because I watched it from episode one. Sure. So I. It, and it was on CBC in Canada, and okay. I accidentally stumbled upon it. It was like ten minutes into the show, and I just sat down and I watched it, and it almost brought me to tears at the end and i was like man i really like this and i watched every single episode every repeat in succession and i just thought it was just beautifully written tv show and it felt like it was me on the screen you know what i mean me going through all this very stuff. relatable very Super very relatable and, yeah for and sure. anyone, anyone who watches the wonder years i can't i can't preach it high enough but that's mm-hmm. the top of my cool meter people there you go. I'm trying to see if there's any other standouts here. Who's the boss? Growing pains uh, in there, you know, dying. Oh, dying <laughs> uh, the Simpsons, Cosby Show, uh, Different Worlds, Step by Step, Family Matters, uh, uh, Perfect Strangers in their dying days. Yeah. Uh, what else? Dear John was a thing. Um, yeah, that was rough. Uh, Billy, the Billy Connolly Show. You remember that? So Billy Connolly is uh, – how do I describe Billy Connolly? Like he's one of those – Scottish mullethead. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't stand the dude. And he's <laughs> like he's like one of these actors like Billy Crystal. Like I don't like anything with Billy Crystal in it. I can't stand the guy, and he's the guy who makes me like run for the remote control. Like, <laughs> I 
Frasier comes on TV. I just I gotta I I don't care if I hear it playing. I like I'll run into that room and I'll find that remote and that will be turned off. That's how that's how passionate I am. <laughs> you don't like Frasier? <laughs> oh, Jesus, I hate I love Cheers and I like <laughs> Frasier Crane the character on Cheers, but I cannot tolerate that TV show. Hate I'm it. Like, I'm like the reverse of that. <laughs> oh my God, poor man. <laughs> minutes of your life you're not getting back oh it's true it's 100 percent true but uh that is the un the uncool meter <laughs> whatever the hell month we're looking at here but before we go we got to do something that we're calling the uh, soundtrack of your life so uh what do you got for us to uh to, to what, what what is the what is the songs that are playing across chris bailey's life so I got to tell you, so I broke this down between I, – I had to do it a little bit different. I didn't know how to tackle this, so I just yeah. tackled some, – some we have like full albums. Some we have just particular selected songs. Mm-hmm. So when I think back about my childhood, one of the big things that I remember was my mom and dad used to boss their ass. And, I mean, both of them worked trying to put food on the table. And the one thing that they would take pride in was giving myself and my brother an awesome Christmas, okay? Okay. And – my dad was all about Christmas. He would trim that tree. He would select his tree. He would spend hours hanging icicles on the tree. My mom would, you know, be the one who would be shopping the Sears catalog and making sure, you know, she checks the list twice and trying to get mm-hmm. every single item that we put on that list. We didn't have a lot of money, but I guarantee you my dad would work overtime. My mom would do whatever she had to do, and she would get that stuff for us. And, man, I'm telling you right now, in the background, it always used to be – Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, Once Upon a Christmas, that whole album Mm. would be the soundtrack, okay? You would hear that every single Christmas. Elvis, Blue Christmas. Oh, my (laughs) God, Chris. I'm telling you right now, it it, it would literally bring me to tears thinking about it because that is is Christmas to me, and that – like I can hear it. Like Mm – Going to bed before Christmas, my dad would be out there and they'd be, you know, I knew they were setting up gifts underneath the tree. Sure. But he would have those songs playing, and it was just the anticipation. Oh, oh that's, yeah. It's like, oh, my God, so good. That's oh, unreal. Yeah. Also on Christmas, I remember this very much. So taking a theme away from Christmas, Twisted Sister, Stay Hungry. I opened that one time, and that's when I heard We're Not Gonna Take It. I Wanna Rock. The Price, which is our mm-hmm. own song on moratory mondays mm-hmm. that always stuck out to me i'm like man these are great now as i trans and i was a young kid at this time so i don't know why my parents thought it was a great idea to buy me stay hungry with d snyder you know eating a large bone on the cover i don't know where that came from but uh, <laughs> i don't know i know my mom always used to make a concerted effort in trying to make me cool like she would she would like if cabbage patch kids were hot i would get a cabbage patch kid despite sure. if i ever wanted one or not so same with records. I was of the age where I should be listening to records, I guess they thought. So mm-hmm. I was given three albums. It was Brian Adams' Reckless, which had Summer 69 and, you know, Heaven, Cuts Like a Knife and all that stuff. Sure. Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA. He had Glory Days, Dancing in the Dark, Born in the USA. And then what my – my basically my, my childhood, Michael Jackson's Thriller. Okay. Beat it. I remember seeing Thriller the video, Chris. I mean, just you know, you know what I mean. Just it, I, I can't say enough about those. But those three albums, I'm telling you right now, that that shaped me as a kid, kid. So you know, <laughs> I had my Christmas. So you know, I had my Kenny and Dolly. Then I had my sure. three big, three big albums. You know what I mean? That came up. Those those were 
those were you know early early chris but then i actually started listening to music and buying albums myself mm-hmm. so you know what did i buy growing up in the 80s now and you know early 90s i bought guns and roses my all-time favorite band so user illusion one and two i'm telling you right now that was the soundtrack of you know late high school i love that stuff don't cry november rain you could be mine all this stuff knocking on heaven's door and a couple that i'm not quite proud of but i'll tell i'll tell the folks here scenes we're talking about the soundtrack of your life when i used to listen to music i used to listen to it playing video games so it was always playing my nes that's what i had my nintendo entertainment system i always would accompany playing a video game with music that I would play in my tape player. And there were <laughs> there was one album outside of Guns N' Roses, you know, Appetite for Destruction, that, you know, I, I'm not super proud of, but uh, but I will tell you, it was the Millie Vanilli Greatest Hits <sighs> remix album. <laughs> not even the original Greatest Hits oh. remix album. So it would be like, blame it on the rain, 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 rain. Blame it on so, the stop, so stop, stop. So that's what they were actually doing on stage that day. They were they were making the remix. Same deal. Yeah. Same deal. <laughs> so that was that was pretty funny. So Millie Vanilli greatest hit. So you know I, I would I would play that around. But during this time I really got into Bare Naked Ladies. Now I'm a Canadian mm-hmm. guy, and it's no secret you can tell by my accent that you know it's, I'm all about the Canadian there, guys. Mm-hmm. Back bacon and you know. You know, all that type of crap. Anyway, Bare Naked Ladies really got into it. So Stephen Page is one of the one of my favorite, favorite vocalists. And, you know, doing the uh, – he, he had this just his voice. You know what I mean? I don't know what it was, but Brian Wilson, Lovers in a Dangerous Time, you know, all this type of stuff I, I really got into. He just had this voice, you know, la, 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 like just – it was something that I really took to. And it was Canadian, so it was like a bit of Canadian pride tossed in there. So mm-hmm. I'll count that as, you know – um, some of my soundtrack of my life because I listened to those albums to death. Wait, they then have more I, than one album? Oh, you shut wait, your wait, mouth. Wait, wait, they have more than one song? Oh my God, I am gonna, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm getting on a plane right now despite COVID restrictions and find you your ass in Arizona, and I'm going to tie you up to a chair, and your wife is gonna help me, and you're gonna listen to all the bare naked ladies, at least three bare naked ladies albums. So that means gonna, I'm gonna hear. That's, that means I'm gonna hear one week like 85 times. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the China, the Chinese chicken. <laughs> anyway, then I gained some taste. <laughs> then the '90s happened, Chris. The '90s happened. You know my, you know what my first CD was. Mm, what year? Uh well, it was 1992 when I actually purchased my first CD. Huh? I don't know. It was Bon Jovi Slippery When Wet because oh it was cheap at Wolco. There you go. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I went in there and uh, CDs were like super priced at that time. Like they oh, were yeah. not cheap. They were not affordable. But Bon Jovi was the equivalent of the Walmart $5 bin special. <laughs> so I spent $7 and I bought Bon Jovi Slippery When Wet. And that had, you know, uh, Living on a Prayer, You Give Love a Bad Name and all that type of stuff, right? Really, really got into it. And then Metallica, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm a big GNR fan, but the Black Album. And I know, you know, you're going to get the hoity-toity, and maybe Mark Radlich will be pissing on me for this one, but he was like, oh, the Black Album was, you know, when they went downhill. They no, hell, it was not. <laughs> yeah, they sold out. Unforgiven. Enter Sandman. Oh, Come hell, on. Hell. Tell me. Mm-hmm. 
I can tell you, driving down the road and hearing, bow, 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 like that thing went up on jack. The windows went down. You hung out the window, waving oh, at the oh, ladies. Yeah. Big, big time speed trap. You're, you're start, you're, you're, the, the, your foot gets a little heavier. Yep. <laughs> Damn right. And then it was Nevermind by Nirvana. Now, I'm not a big Nirvana fan. I'm not going to say, oh, Kurt Cobain is my idol. No, he's not. He's a dirty man. He's a dirty, skinny, ugly-looking man. And <laughs> but he's a I thought, yeah, I thought Nevermind was a great album. So that mm-hmm. was one of the ones that I ended up breaking the tape in my car, playing it so much. It was so oh, wow. good. <laughs> then there was a couple things. Okay, now I'm going to get a little bit sooky and wimpy here. So got my first girlfriend. Okay. And one of the songs that I played was Mr. Big to be with you. You know. Oh yes. Wants to be, and as corny as that was, you know, I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. Then I discovered, then I became a ballad guy. Think about this now for a second. You know, Mr. Metallic and Guns N' Roses now became a ballad guy, and I fell in love with Roxette. Don't really? ask. Okay. No idea. You know, the look, love mm-hmm. the look. Must have been love, faded like a flower, dangerous, all that stuff. Loved it. So anyway. Now, now all these songs. This was this was my university. You know what I mean? I mean Bon Jovi loved everything he did. I just ate up every single album. Then we went to, you know, it was 1992. I was graduating, and guess what? And this one sticks with me. So this is my graduation theme. Mm-hmm. So originally it was meant to be, if I'm not mistaken, a whole new world. You know, the uh, the, the Disney song, Aladdin, or the yeah. Lion King. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, okay. yeah. Anyway, what had happened along the way? They had a student council election, and mm-hmm. people thought it would be funny to nominate the two biggest stoners in the school, Colin and Jay. These two guys were like, you know, they were uh, Jay and Silent Bob before it was cool, okay? <laughs> they were stoners. Anyway, the first thing that they did, they actually got voted in, and they, one of their campaign promises was they were going to remove Disney from the graduation theme. Oh, God. And they did. <laughs> Guess what our theme song was? It was Time for Change by Motley Crue. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and everybody was so on board with that. And around the same time, you know, what was cool at that point, and this is another soundtrack thing, you used to drive around with your friends, okay? And one of the mm-hmm. things to do at the time, everybody saw Wayne's World, so, of course, as soon as Bohemian uh, Rhapsody yeah. came out, everybody bobbed their head, everybody played the whole, you know, we're, we're cool kids in the car. So, you know, that was that was another thing that was cool. Then, to me, I became super uncool when I look back because then I went to university, and I think my taste fell off a cliff because it, 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 when I look at these bands, I'm like, oh, my God, it stands for it, – it goes against everything. R.E.M. What? Hey, your Chris favorite. That's <laughs> me in the corner. Oh, my God. Like, Did anyone really listen to that and like it? Radiohead. One song. Creep. That's the only one I ever liked. Yep. <laughs> Then I got into – then I tried to be Canadian cool. So I got my Bare Naked Ladies albums back out, which nobody thought was cool at the time, but I did. Uh, <laughs> Our Lady Peace, who did – Oh, Superman's dead, yeah. Superman. And the only reason I liked it was because Superman, you know, Superman dead song. I thought that was great. For sure. They had a band, which was, uh, you know, one of the words that my wife hates, moist. <laughs> <laughs> and another obviously uh, ridiculously named band was Bush or Bush Yes. Now, I love that because I, I thought that Bush X was Nirvana done right. I'm like, yeah, listen to this junk. Sure, sure. Loved it. 
you know, Come Down and all these different songs. Machine Head, uh, yeah, that's one of my yeah. near and dears, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you love that, did you not? Admit oh, it. Yeah. Admit yeah. 100%. And I, I remember being very confused because I lived in New York at the time, and we had – we had three music channels. We had VH1 and MTV, like every other normal, you know, American. But we also had on channel 65 Much Music, which is the Canadian oh, station. Sookie Suk and Lee and you know Erica yeah. Ann and all these people, yeah. And uh, yeah. Monica Diol yeah. and yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, we would watch and we'd see Bush come on and it'd be Bush X and we're like, what <laughs> the hell is this? <laughs> another one of those weird canadian things that they couldn't get the rights or or what was it a a uk yeah something like that they had another band that had the name so they couldn't use it in canada and other parts of the world or something but uh did did you find the much music vjs a lot more attractive than the uh the mtv variety 100 100 100 and all these people were like yeah baby oh 100 yeah, no, that was uh, and much music was a lot. It was just so much better than an MTV. Um, yeah. It's where I first heard bands like Pulp and Sloan, uh, the Refreshments, who, in, who were an Arizona band, yes. but they never played them on MTV. The Refreshments was that. How far down do you, you want to go? go? Yep, Banditos. Yeah, yep. yeah, Banditos. It was so mm-hmm. good. Oh yes, yeah, that's one of the only albums I actually own is is a, is a couple of Refreshments albums. That was a great, beautiful cover album to the refreshments too. It had like it's like an old vintage art with like a pop pop like lady a pinup, on yeah. yeah it's a fizzy, fizzy, fuzzy, big and buzzy. Yep. Yes, loved mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. So, so it was around this time that I started getting into uh, poor man's karaoke. I would say, okay. Okay. I always thought, and I can't, by the way. So you know, strike this from the record. <laughs> I always thought that I could do Eddie Vedder, and I can't, by the way, I can't. The only reason I thought so was because every Eddie Vedder song with Pearl Jam was just basically oh, hey, moaning. You know what I mean? Like it was all just all over the place. But I started, uh, you know, trying to sing karaoke with Pearl Jam 10. So I sure. loved it. Song on that album, Vitology, mm-hmm. you know, that type of stuff. And, you know, oh, yeah. that would. So I, I thought I could sing. And, you know, finally one of my friends brought it to my attention. It was like, Chris, bro, like you, you, you suck. <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? You don't want to hear me do, uh, you know, Daughter by Pearl Jam? No, bro, we we don't. <laughs> I was like, okay. Flag on that play, yeah. <laughs> now, of course, I uh, then of course, adulthood hits. So mm-hmm. this is where my taste of music just literally it stops. Uh, it it cuts off. So I think the That's last where music stopped, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I think music died. So yeah, they stopped making music at that point. The only ones that were key to me at this point were my wedding songs. So when I got married to uh, to my beautiful bride, Miss Roxanne, mm-hmm. um, I had two wedding songs. So one was Casey and JoJo, All My Life. All my life. Okay. Baby, baby. That one. Uh, that was a big deal. So mm-hmm. we really liked that one. We decided on that one ourselves. Then we went Canadian. We did Brian Adams, When You Love Someone. Hey. But the one thing that I remember Did, was Brian Adams actually there? I assume he's at every Canadian wedding. <laughs> I wish we couldn't get him <laughs> that night. Apparently, he had a bar mitzvah that night. So there was two things that stick out when you're talking about the soundtrack of your life. So there's that one song where you know you really connect. You know, maybe you're in love with somebody, and you know you get that song and you dance slow and all that stuff. Sure. Well, Guns N' Roses' Patience hit that night, and I remember just feeling 
you know, all my friends were around me. Here I am. I had my new bride with me and we're swaying to Axel singing Patience and everybody singing along. And it was just one of those times where, like, you know, all was right in the world. Magic. And you're like, man, yep. this is a friggin amazing. Mm-hmm. But what's funny, as much as I recall those wedding songs and loving those things, um, there was one song. So we had our entire playlist set out. We picked every single solitary song that we wanted and we put it on a set of tapes. So we actually recorded them. And the only thing we needed, we actually hired a DJ and that was a family member. You know, mm-hmm. it was someone, it was a, you know, a distant cousin and all that stuff. And they were going to just play the music. And all we, all he had to do was literally put in the tapes. Press play. They were all labeled. <laughs> press play. That's all he had to do. We we're going to pay him. We we're going to pay him, you know, a couple hundred bucks or whatever. He's going to do the DJing. So, you know, sure. he would announce that, okay, now this is the bride and groom song, or this is the, you know, bride and the father song, this, this type of thing. You know what sure. I mean? So that's basically they were in charge. Well, we couldn't wait. We had our first song, and, you know, it was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Fleetwood Mac. Ding, 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 ding. I, I can't remember what it is. Second, secondhand news, maybe? Okay. I think that was supposed to be the first song. The guy didn't play our music, Chris. Oh, boy. They played Boot, Scoot, and Boogie. Get down, turn around, go to town, Boot, Scoot, and Boogie. And you're like, what in the beep is this? So I'll never forget that. Every time I hear that now, it just brings back horror stories of like, I think my wedding's gonna go south because this this just broke down. Here. I think it just. <laughs> I don't <know> what <laughs> but I'll tell you what, and I'll wrap with this one. So as corny as this sound, there seems there's one song and it's really bizarre and it's almost creepy. Mm-hmm. And every single time something extremely positive happens in my life, like uh, some notable life event, like the last big thing that happened to me was I got a super promotion at work. Okay. Like, yeah, you know, I I had a job offer and, you know, it was for really for the first time in my life, it was for really good money. Mm -hmm. And I went and presented it to, you know, my employer and they came back and said, Hey, Chris, you know what? We really don't want you to leave. We're going to offer you this. And it was more money than I ever imagined. And mm-hmm. I remember getting aboard the car and I'm just floored. Like I, I had another job, like signed on the dotted line. You know, someone was interested in me and my own company came back and they said, no, man, we we'll want you that. to stay. Yeah. We're, we're going to pay you to stay, basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just thinking how it, how it hit me and I'm like, my God, you know, they really think highly enough of me to keep me and to pay me. And by God, I turn on the radio and I'm starting the car and Wilson Phillips, hold on comes on and this song <laughs> floats around the universe and hits me at the right times and i'm telling you right now as corny as that sound hold on for one more day it's <laughs> everywhere it is every, it played five times today at work oh that's five wild times. it is just my lucky song i don't particularly go. like it i like it because it always seems to bring me good luck but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just one of those weird things that plays and it seems to bring me luck. It's like a good luck charm, and it's really, really strange. That. But anyway, that's Chris Bailey from Elvis Blue Christmas to the three big albums my mom gave me to trying to figure myself out with GNR and Millie Vanilli back in the day to, you know, graduation to the black hole known as university. Right up to I got to Boot Scoot Boogie and, you know, the end of my marriage. <laughs> <No, I'm kidding. laughs> there you go. Uh, 
<laughs> no, that's awesome. Thank you so much for for putting in the work and uh, and, and pulling that together here. That this is uh, this has been a lot of fun to do with everybody. Uh, everybody seems to be having a real good time. It's it's an an, an interesting mental exercise for uh, for everybody, and uh, and I'm glad everybody's participating and having a good time with it. But. Yeah, I think that'll that'll do it for this segment, and uh, we will take it to uh, something silly, and then over to Excalibur. Right. No place to run, no place to run, you can take. 